You're listening to A Little Too Quiet, the Ferndale Library podcast. It's brought to you by the friends of the Ferndale Library. And we're talking with Leah Vernon today on the podcast, a plus size Tajabi model, social media influencer, public speaker, and freelance writer, also author of the 2019 memoir, Unashamed Musings of a Fat Black Muslim. Leah Vernon is the first visibly plus size Tajabi influencer to hit the mainstream. With over 4 million views combined, she also holds a double master's in business and creative writing, and she's been featured in high-profile campaigns from companies like Ugg and Fitbit, as well as Adidas and Lululemon. But Leah Vernon isn't your regular influencer. She's a disruptor, a trendsetter, a changemaker in her prospective fields. She began, as we talk about in our interview, blogging her journey back in 2013, when she fell deep into disordered eating and noticed that there was no one that looked like her that was considered worthy or beautiful, quote unquote. And frankly, as she says, she was tired of sucking her stomach in around her skinny friends. With just her own smartphone, her grainy Android, and clothes from the clearance racks, she began paving her own way through the fashion industry, making it her mission to really prove that beauty is not one size fits all. She moved from Detroit, where she grew up, to New York and began basically, as she mentions, smashing through glass ceilings. And today she's worked with renowned brands as some of the few that I already mentioned, but also Target, Dove, and Amazon, just to name a few. This book, Unashamed, Musings of a Fat Black Muslim, came out in 2019. And we talk about kind of the experience of being a a writer and getting published, but then having basically you know, the potential for a book tour and more book signings kind of sidelined by, you know, understandably by the pandemic and quarantine. But we talk about how she's been regaining momentum lately, getting into dystopic fiction writing, and we'll be talking about that as well. But we primarily talk about how she found the resolve to put all these these raw emotions and some of really harrowing life experiences into this book. And we also talk about her formative experiences as a writer in school and how she was really kind of set on never writing nonfiction, never writing about herself and primarily just living and writing in a fictional realm as a, as a, as a writer and an artist. And turns out when she got into college, she had a knack for composing really compelling and visceral narrative nonfiction. So we'll be talking all about that when we have Leah Vernon here on the podcast. Here is our chat. I like to live on edge. It's all good. I do. Yeah. I do too. I yeah. I'm always uh, somewhere between order and chaos, and uh-huh. a little bit closer to chaos. Yes, <laughs> love to hear it. But sometimes, like the best things happen out of chaos. Sometimes I agree. Spontaneity uh, mm-hmm. can uh, can yeah. Because <laughs> uh, yeah, so, suddenly an idea will just come. That's so so good to see you. Welcome to our podcast, Leah Vernon. So good to see you. Thank you. Uh, folks at home, you're listening to A Little Too Quiet. It's the Ferndale Library podcast, and it's brought to you by the friends of the Ferndale Library. Today, I'm joined by author, uh, blogger, model, Leah Vernon, author of Unashamed, Musings of a Fat Black Muslim. Biography came out in 2019. Welcome to the podcast, Leah. 
Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to see where this conversation is going to go. <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, I think it's going to be kind of well, I well, I, I have to start just with your roots. You know, you're from Detroit. And I think yeah. folks at home, when they uh, learn more about you, they're just going to they're going to want to hear about what it was like for you growing up in Detroit. And as your biography lays bare, you know, not exactly not exactly a great time all the time. Um, can you tell us about your experience growing up here in Detroit? Yeah, so my grandparents, of course, made that big migration over from the South to work for the car, the big three, the car companies. Sure. Um, that's how we kind of landed here. Uh, so my mom was uh, born in, uh, you know, Arkansas. And um, yeah, we grew up in Detroit, half Detroit, half downriver. And um, yeah, I. It was a very interesting childhood, as you can see in the book. Right, of course, because <laughs> you are in the midst of all these different kind of communities. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, talk about that experience. And well, I mean, I don't don't spoil your book, too, but just <laughs> just well, like how like and, and so but now you've you've moved away. But like, we'd just love to hear your your thoughts and feelings about Detroit. Tell us about your experience yeah. growing up first a little bit, though, too. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, I grew up um, in the Muslim community, community, the black Muslim community. Um, I think everyone thinks that when you uh, say Muslim, we're all just kind of like bunched into one. But there are African Muslims. There's, you know, white convert Muslims. There's European, mm -hmm. Desi, everything. And we were a part of the African-American Muslim community uh, in Detroit. And, um, you know, it was very tumultuous. There's a lot of different things going on. And, and during that time, you know, I didn't have a father. My mom was um, heavily mentally ill, a single mother. And, you know, I just found it very hard to um, just be in a community where I felt like I was worthy or felt like I was um, accepted. Mm -hmm. So, you know, also being homeschooled, that was also a whole nother level to it because I, you know, kind of was encapsulated in my mom's um, mental illness. Oh. And at the time we didn't really know because we're children, right? And we're homeschooled and we're Muslim. So, you know, we were kind of, you know, in her world. And at some point I, I had to make a decision to step out of her world a little bit. And so I found that through books yes. and I found that through storytelling. And I think that's where, um, you know, my, you know, my storytelling and my um, writing really bloomed was when I was like six or seven. Sure. This isn't a question, but this book is incredibly written uh, and captivatingly written. Um, so just bravo. Like, thank you. Yeah. So all of that, all of that you were, that you were encountering, all the books you were reading and all the writing that you eventually start doing. It really was building to to one uh, hell of a biography, um, which Thank came you. out in 2019. And uh, that's actually kind of a whole other side question, because uh, there was like all this momentum. There was a feature in our Detroit and then, you know, pandemic and quarantine hit. And that yeah. was always just for any author anywhere that was for any anyone anywhere, even a library. Uh, man, the pandemic was uh, was was uh it was like that. It was like that. Mm, it's kind of this momentum killer. Um, yeah, it definitely. Yeah, we we had the first half of the tour planned um, when the book came out in 2019, 
And then the second half was planned for after the holidays. Yeah. And then we got hit with COVID and people didn't care about my story. Uh, they didn't care about the books. And I was hoping the momentum would 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 go over into 2020. And it did not because we were fighting for our lives. Right. And so I definitely get it and I understand it. But um, I think that's why like I'm trying to put it out there a little bit more now. because I kind of felt like we all kind of forgot about some stuff that happened in 2019. Sure. That we're jewels. And sure. so, yeah, I'm trying to like recaptivate and see, you know, if people would like to read it or, or want to read the story, because I feel like it's a good story. And so, and one that you don't really hear, like yeah. you don't get to hear the perspective of a fat black Muslim American. Like we are um, a demographic that people are kind of like, wait, does it exist? Does it not? It's, it's like a unicorn demographic. Mm -hmm. And so, but we, we do exist. Right. Um, a lot of us just are silenced oftentimes because we have so many uh marginalized identities that you know once you keep stacking them on you get less and less and less um platforms to speak and i'm you know blessed to be uh, a fat black muslim from detroit that has made headway in like europe in la in new york and kind of have dipped into the mainstream because people who look like me have never even been at those kind of tables. So I have to always remind myself and I'm like, I'm not doing enough or like, you know, you could do more that I've done quite a bit. And I'm proud to to be the first person who, are, who will probably be in history books for being the first to do many of these things. Um, and so I need to like, you know, hang on to that when I'm feeling like, you know, you're not doing enough or, right. you know, you could do more. Right. So. But that, and that's a, that's a, hmm. So many, so many directions I can go in. We started this little podcast here in our library here in Ferndale uh, in January of 2020. So when you talk about having to like shift and lose momentum, like what we really found and what this like episode is exemplary of is that we were able to have lots of authors come on to our podcast because they maybe couldn't otherwise go on a book tour or do a book signing or come to our library. So... Mm -hmm. We thought podcasting was very effective. You mentioned you just started a podcast or or has it been going for a while? Uh, no. So I actually, well, I, I did a uh, baby launch back in, I think, 2018 cool. and I was still living in Michigan and I was like, I want to just do this podcast. So I got, I did like three random ass podcasts on my phone and um, I kind of stopped because, you know, income, uh, circumstance, uh, marketing, all of that. And so I just actually revisited it five, six years later. And I'm like, you know, I, I know some amazing people in in New York and they're amazing and they don't have a platform to speak. Mm -hmm. So I was like, let's just like, I'm ridiculous. My friends are ridiculous. They're creative and just a ball of fun and a ball of knowledge. They, they don't ever get the platform. So I'm like, let me just do this. And, you know, no, no sponsors, no nothing. It's all for me. Uh, I'm the producer, the editor, <laughs> the guest, everything, uh, set designer. And so I was like, yeah, let's do it. And and we did seven episodes and it is amazing. And I think it's something that I'm going to keep doing even without, you know, the sponsorships. Cause I'm like, sure. this is a passion project of mine and I want to talk and I want people nice. to listen to it. Nice. And you talked about getting into, uh, these, 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 you know, bigger and perhaps by comparison, more glamorous uh, markets, New York, LA, et cetera. But like Detroit um, is always just that underdog because there's just so many incredible artists here. It's just, we might get overlooked because we aren't on the coasts, but man, so many amazing people coming out of Detroit. Again, not a question, but again, you're just another another example of that. Um, yeah, so. I definitely, it's, it's really funny because um, 
when I was first gaining traction uh, as a blogger. They don't call them that anymore. Uh, they call them influencers now. <laughs> right. And so, yeah, when I was a blogger and yeah. I was getting like, you know, attraction, I got uh, one of my videos went semi-viral. It was called Muslim Girl Dance. And that's how I kind of like, you know, got a little bit more play. And um, I was flown out to the, the University of Ottawa. It was my first gig. They paid me so little bit of money, but I was so excited. So I'm like, yeah, it's my first like paid gig. Like, you know, and um, yeah, they, they they flew me out to speak on topics of like, you know, fat phobia, phobia, uh, being a, you know, being myself in the fashion industry and kind of making that, you know, uh, becoming being being a tornado in this industry. And I remember, uh, you know, the, the room was packed out. It was like important people in Canada were in the room and, you know, doctors and HRP, just everybody was in the room. And somebody raised their hand, asked a question. They're like, um, where are you from? And I'm like, oh, I'm from Detroit. And they were like, what? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I'm from Detroit. They're like, oh, we thought you were like from New York or something. Sure. Or like, right, hey. right. And so anytime people ask me, where are you from? I say Detroit. They're like, no, you're not. You're from Detroit or L.A. Uh -huh. Like, I literally get told that, like, I'm like Detroit cannot produce what you are. Right. That's basically what they're saying. And right. so I get questioned a lot. Like, no, you're not. Mm -hmm. You're not from Detroit. Mm -hmm. It is wild. It's mm -hmm. wild. Let me ask you about getting into writing, because you mentioned in your book, which, again, I said, is like so uh, uh, visceral and invigorating to read. Um, but you, you, you get to the end and you mentioned that you weren't sure you ever even really wanted to write about yourself you'd prefer fiction um can you talk about your your early writing life and getting into writing and more of that and just books etc and maybe some influences and things like that mm -hmm. yeah so um you know i got a lot of influences you know at six years old it was so cliche uh by reading rainbow like that yes. you know as, as a homeschooler um we watch a lot of um pbs and so reading Rainbow was something that took me out of the situation I was in and I was able to um, touch me somewhere like in deep down in my creative baby soul. Like this is what you need to do with your life. And so I always tell people reading Rainbow was like the pinnacle of like me becoming an author, honestly. And so when I was a uh, you know middle school or junior high, it was a library like e-course library. They they knew me by name up there because like I was homeschooled, so I would get out of school earlier than the other children in school. And so I would ride my bike up there every day, get a stack of books and read there. Like they literally knew me by name. And we, I was friends with the librarians, you know? I was like, you know, this, this was my home. I didn't have a lot of money growing up. So the library was my home and where like I also cultivated these things. Um, so I read a lot of like um, C.S. Lewis and like R.L. Stein and of, of course, like the Harry Potter series, stuff like that. And I would just like just engulf and inhale these books and characters. I will say that the only issue I have with those is that a lot of the characters look like me. Right. So, you know, these were always white heroines like, you know, like, oh, white guy saved today, white girl saved today. So right. I never could see myself in these characters so like i knew that when i was writing my i wrote my first book at 17 like i knew that i wanted to see myself as a heroine or someone who could save the day right mm -hmm. and i wanted other black kids and kids of color to also know that they can save the day and they can be the main character so yes i started out with dystopian mm -hmm. so my first three books were dystopian mm -hmm. and they're all multicultural and nobody wanted them. Like when I tell you I got denied by 
hundreds on hundreds of publishers and agents, like hundreds, denials, rejection letters. And it would, it would kill me a little bit each time. Like, you know, as, as an author who wants to get their story out there, who thinks they have some talent, it hurts. Like people like, Oh yeah. Rejections are part of the, part of the process. It hurts. It's a prick every time. Right. But like, and so dystopia was becoming popular in 09, 10, 11, 12, but it was still Hunger Games and Divergent. And so those are still, you know, white cis heroes. So. Yeah, and I and I love both those books. Sure. I love all those movies. Right, sure. And it was like, you know, so this is popular and I'm writing it. So why is my book not, you know what I mean? And I don't think they were ready for that type of right. thing at the moment. Right. But, I, you know, I just knew that I was going to write the book. So the memoir came out, So I, which is really a funny story. So I was a struggling writer. My teachers would always be like, hey, you're a really good writer. You should write a book. And I'm like, I did. And I'm trying to figure out what's the next step. And so like, you know, when people keep telling you you have, you know, talent, it's like that only goes so far. Mm -hmm. Like, tell me how to get to the next step. So I was like, okay, you know what? I'm going to go get a a master's degree in creative writing. So I actually applied to two Michigan-based schools. They denied me. So again, I was back at square one. I was like, I literally live here. <laughs> like, why can I, like, why can't I be admitted into the like, oh, wow, okay, like I'm not a good writer. So I was like, okay, I'm gonna like, the second batch of master's programs are gonna be out of state. Cause like, I can't get into any Michigan schools, which is right. crazy to me. Right. But anyway, mm-hmm. uh, I applied to Wilkes University and they were amazing. Um, and they were like, they accepted me and I'm like, this is a school that I'm going to. And when I tell you that that was life changing to be around people who wrote dystopian, who wrote sci-fi, um, who like, like the same weird stuff as me, um, you know, they were so amazing and welcoming. And it's really funny because in, it's in Pennsylvania, Wilkesbury, Pennsylvania, mm-hmm. uh, there's not a lot of black people <laughs> there. And so when I went there, I was so scared. I'm like, oh, these white people aren't going to get my stories. They're not going to get me. I'm just so emo. And they got me. They got my stories. And I was like, I never been in a group like that where it was just like such com- camaraderie and sure. just like, just like storytelling and just about rejection and about like how to create a character. And yeah, uh, I took a I took a nonfiction class there, which I didn't want to do. Uh, and my teacher made me write about my mom. He's like, yeah, you're going to do that. And I'm like, well, I don't I'm a, I'm a fiction girl. You know, I don't write about myself like that's too. I'm not ready to tell my truth. Mm-hmm. And I wrote a story about my mom and he pulled me to the side. He's like, you I've, I write memoirs. I've been doing it for 30 years and I've never seen anything like that, like this before. Like you should write memoir. And I told him, no, <laughs> I told him I'm not writing memoir. I'm sorry. I'm a dystopian writer. And he left alone. He's like, I will tell you right now that I will put my money on that. You will be an amazing memoirist. How, and yeah. three years later, I wrote a memoir. <laughs> how, how powerful is that? Also just yeah. like shout out to the, to the role that, you know, teachers and mentors can play. That's great. Um, but also how funny that the this this he still said this is amazing and you still you still said no i'm gonna write fiction yes i was like yeah no thank you (laughs) no thank you but like but like narrative nonfiction is so amazing and i was actually gonna like i think that that's crucial to a story like this because i think that there are also there's a lot of memoirs and biographies out there where you can kind of tell that the writer is writing from like almost like a little bit of a remove, like almost like they're trying to be a third person narrator of their own life or something. And you just put us right in there, which is amazing. It took me some time to get to that point. Like I, as a writer, 
and I always tell like other other writers and baby writers and authors are they always want to talk to me about how I got to here, right? And you know, it's a lot of mess and unhingedness and you know, mental illness and just days of like not taking showers to get this product, right? Mm -hmm. But when it comes down to it, I always tell people when you are gonna create a character or like write about yourself, you have to tell the truth. Mm -hmm. um, if you're not prepared to tell the whole truth and nothing but the truth, yeah. then you don't need to write it. I'm sorry, because like like you just said, like when I read memoir uh, or nonfiction, nonfiction narrative, um, if they are removed or they're leaving bits and pieces out or they're not being unapologetic about what they're saying, I now kind of discredit you a little bit because like, why are you telling the story if you're not going to tell the story fully and wholly, right? You right. know, and raw, and it's it's not cute, it's not pretty, it's disgusting, it's nasty, it's dirty, it's uncomfortable, but the end result is a weight lifted off of you yeah. for telling the truth. Mm -hmm. And sometimes in 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 memoir, memoir you have to um, embarrass yourself and and really put yourself out there. And I think that's the most rawest. And that's the best advice I can give to a, a, a writer. An irresistible, after what you just said there, an irresistible segue is just to ask you to talk about the title and what inspired that. Because yeah. I think you just teed it up. Unashamed. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I mean, I think as like growing up as like a, a plus size person and then, you know, a black woman, um, there's always like this shame kind of like shame cloud hovering you. It doesn't matter what you do, what you say, it's always something shrouded in shame. And so like, I, I just wanted it to be something that was the opposite of like, you know, like how I grew up or other people may have grew up. And I wanted to, um, kind of like bust that glass ceiling or like tear down that social construct of, you know, we don't have to walk around with shame. You know, some things happen to us and we have no um, power over that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's it's horrible. Yeah. And people shouldn't do bad things to other people. People mm -hmm. shouldn't say crazy things to other people um, that stick with them through decades and decades and decades. You know, trauma a lot of times is not self-inflicted. Right. It's from other people right. or situations or systematic racism so it's like we don't have to carry that all the time mm -hmm. and so i just wanted you know to have something that people can like pick up and be like okay so i know where this is gonna go sure. it's gonna be a hard journey but like i know we're gonna go with this and like i don't have to carry that anymore and i can truly be myself unapologetic in every space that i choose right. to be in right you know, I can't resist bringing this up because, uh, you know, we're a library and we have lots of book clubs that meet here and we had a book club meeting yesterday and I don't want to get too much into it, but obviously we were talking about last month's book and in it, the author who is a fiction writer, uh, was talking about the trauma the characters were enduring. And of course it's fiction and I don't want to compare apples to oranges, but, uh, a lot of the people at the book club responded to this line the author had in the book that said, uh, trauma isn't just what happens to you. It's also how you respond to it. Mm. I wanted to I kind of put you on the spot there, but what do you think about that line? Because I'm, I'm curious. I've been thinking about it. It's been rolling around in my head lately. Yeah, it's definitely a deep one. Um, right. I also play with that word because it's such a buzzword now, right? Right. 
because um, a lot of us are really diving into sure. what trauma looks like and how it affects us. Like from when we were like a wee baby experiencing trauma in the womb, mm-hmm. literally until you know now we're adults and in this in this world trying to do something. And why do things trigger us, right? Because right. like if something triggers you, it's usually from some type of trauma. Yeah, you know. And this is coming from like I've been in therapy for like a long, long time. So right. now I like know how to like you know compartmentalize all these things but i do think it's how you respond to it like it's really funny because um one um i had a friend in new york city and she was an amazing person and had a lot of trauma and she we she decided to not be my friend anymore and dis- disrespectfully kind of like hang up on me and like that was kind of like the end of the friendship and a couple years later now she had another person reach out to me and i told her like you know I understand what happened in her, what the trauma that happened in her life, but that doesn't, how she responded to the situation of her being traumatized, that's not okay. And like, mm-hmm. I can't get over something like that, but I wish her the best of luck. Right. And so, like you said before, it's like, how are you responding to these things? Are you shutting down? Are you, you know, uh, just like not taking a step back from it and be like, okay, what are my triggers? Like, what's mm-hmm. going on with this? Um, and how are other people being traumatized by now my response right. and so it's it's this whole thing about like you know us all affecting each other mm-hmm. you know and it's just like i don't ever want my own traumas to necessarily overtake some of the things that i'm doing right now now easier said than done yeah but i don't want all the trauma that i've had to like let's say for instance make me stop writing you know mm-hmm. like i don't want to write anymore because like you know because that is my passion yeah and, and it's a part of me and so it's, I, def, I definitely feel like it's it's how how we respond to it. Right on. Uh, speaking of New York, uh, the New York Public Library. Uh, I love uh, noting this that the iconic lions that are in front of the library they're they have names and their names are patience and fortitude and those are two of my favorite words and traits of all time. But I want to talk about fortitude uh, a little bit. Um, and I also want to kind of give you a two-part question because uh, uh, I've been reading and, and watching some other interviews with you, but hopefully you can tell the listeners, our listeners at home who maybe weren't privy to those interviews, there uh, is kind of a, a question that would kind of get um, thrown at you sometimes. And it was kind of this phrased clumsily, like, where, where do you get your confidence from? And I'd love for you to respond to that because it's not exactly the question I want to ask. After reading your book, the question I'm more interested in is, like, where did you get your endurance? Where did you find your fortitude to to get all through this? So kind of a two-part question. Yeah, I mean, I definitely, as a person who does, like, you know, impeccable makeup and I dress, like, really wild, people are like, oh, my God. Like, you know, right. it's, 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 a whole, it's a whole spectacle when I get dressed up. Um, and people only see me as that sometimes. And, and I think a lot because I am plus size uh, and I'm Muslim, people don't expect me to be so like loud and uh, vivacious sure. and, and, and ridiculous and unhinged. So I think a lot of times, you know, people like me are told to not be confident. You know, society tells you to not be confident because you look a certain way. You don't fit into the societal norms of what beauty is. Mm -hmm. So I get that question a lot. Like, oh, what do you get your confidence from? And so that's why I'm just like, when people ask it, I'm like, I'm going to answer it. But like in the back of my mind, I'm like, ew. Right. Uh, Because like, you know, it's such a, I don't know, jaded question at the same time. Sure. Uh, I like yours better. Oh, yeah. 
I think that the it's something that you have to really look internally for. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was on another podcast um, a couple of, last week, and and he he asked that question too. He's like a white male. He's like, I don't feel very confident, and I just want to bottle up what you have. Mm-hmm. I don't even know you personally, but just like watching your interviews and seeing you speak, I want to bottle it up so I can have it as a white man. And so I was like, oh wow, that's very interesting. Um, and so mm-hmm. that happened, but yeah, I think that. Just because because it, it'll be like a 16 hour answer, <laughs> but you have to really envision who you want to be, first of all. Right. And you also have to be your own sharing section, because oftentimes, like I've been blessed to have a community of artists and people who who will literally like jump over a mountain for me. Like, I know that for a fact. I didn't have that back in the day. Mm-hmm. So if. For folks who don't have cheering sections and and stuff like that, you need to be your own cheering section and find that from within. Right. And like I said, we're easier said than done. Like we all be like, yeah, be your own cheering section. Right. But you literally have to every day you wake up, make a decision to be the person that who that you want to be. That's it. Like it's no magic pill for confidence, for fortitude, for endurance. There, it's not something that like some people have a little bit more maybe because their circumstances, perhaps. But there's others who are like, I don't have any of it, but I'm right. gonna get it. And so you have to have that mentality every every day you wake up when you face something that you're like, I'm not very confident in this, but I'm going to try my best to figure it out. Right. Like just showing, just showing up honestly. Right. And your body starts, it's like a muscle, right? Right. You are so incredible for answering that question, but I think it's also important to note side question or side thought is just like, I would just hope that, and this is something you also have touched on in another interview is that people should be more thoughtful about perhaps why they're asking that because we wouldn't have asked Kate Moss or Lady Gaga. I think there's just something so loaded there. You know what I mean? Yeah, I agree. About where I you... mean, I try to educate people. You right. know, I don't want to be the, the angry black woman trope. But... So I try not to like act too crazy when answering <laughs> questions because sometimes people don't have, they're not self-reflective, right? Sure. And so, you know, I, I give grace where it is, oh, but yeah. I always try to correct and I ask the question, you know, would you ask that to this person, sure. right? Um, and so it makes them think a little bit exactly. um, and a gentle, a gentle, a gentle nudge. <laughs> and <laughs> so, because, you know, as a black woman, you can't like you can't be too harsh mm-hmm. and be like, no, why would you ask that? Would you ask this person sure. like you have to you have to be gentle with it because, you know, we're always seen as like the very aggressive, you know, like, oh, she asking questions. She's aggressive. Right. So it's it's definitely tiresome. But as somebody who does speak to all different kinds of people, I have to know when to uh, I have to pick my battles and choose my battles wisely. But the. The thing about the book is when you get the book and you get to read it and you get to learn about your life story and you get to really sit in these really intense moments, uh, that's where I want to know, not not exactly confidence, but like the in, the endurance of it all, the fortitude of it all. Uh, and I, I guess that's kind of like, where did you draw your strength from kind of question, but like, what do you think about that? I mean, I think honestly, just like I think most artists uh and creators and and writers i think a lot of our push Mm -hmm. comes from either sadness Mm -hmm. trauma or anger Mm -hmm. like uh, a couple of me me and my couple my artist friends were talking like that about how mental illness um 
connects to great pieces of artwork, right? And how that intertwines. Like a lot of times people are just like, when they create something amazing, like a painting mm-hmm. or a song, it's coming out of like some type of mental illness or trauma, right? Um, or some strong response. Like mm-hmm. people are not really, I haven't heard of like a songwriter like creating a song that was like super duper happy and it being like, you know, a number one. It's a sad yeah. song yeah. that like are deep and people are like, oh my God, I've been to the bottom. I feel this. Those are the songs that get like, you know, are like those iconic songs that make it through the decades, mm-hmm. right? Not the happy ones. Like right. it's very rare. Right. Like, and so we're talking about that. And so I don't know. I think with my memoir, especially, I was at the bottom of, I was like underneath the dumpster when I wrote Unashamed. Like I didn't have any money, didn't have any prospects, just got divorced like two weeks before that. And I was so upset, so hurt, Mm -hmm. so unhinged that I was like, if you don't write something and get this out and vomit this out, you will implode. And so I literally out of just anger, I just wrote, it was anger and pain and I was like, upset at what my ex did to me and what the Muslim community did to me and like what 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 white people had done to me in the workplace because I, I had faced a lot of racism prior to that in the workplace and couldn't work I had to quit my job because I was getting bullied by white managers and white staff so I was mad at I was mad at everybody I was mad at the world I was mad at myself for allowing people to take advantage of me mm. and so that was pure rage and angst and that's how I wrote the book. <laughs> that's where art comes from. That's where art comes from, for sure. Yeah. And it's like, it leads up, it builds up to just pure catharsis. Like you had to get this out. Yeah. Um, what an incredible story. Um, uh, so what, um, so you mentioned restarting the podcast. Anything else like new that's really, that you're really excited about lately or anything else going on? I'm of course going to have a link to your website in the show notes, etc. but. How's everything else um, yeah. going? I um I don't know. I'm about to turn 36. Okay. <laughs> and so right now, like I, you know, I think everybody's in this floating floater stage where it's like, what is life? Mm-hmm. What am I meant to do? Yeah. Like what's my next thing? Because everything's kind of like falling and crumbling around me, right? Yeah. Like just internally, externally with the weather, with like just the inflation, gas prices. It's and a- so it's just like it's a weird time for everybody. And so I'm in that moment where I'm just like, okay, you've done some really cool things. Your career has slowed down drastically. You need to pivot, but pivot in a healthy way. Mm-hmm. And so like right now I, you know, I'm proud that I just finished, you know, uh, my uh, second installment of uh, The Descent. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, The Union came out last year, which is a multicultural dystopian novel. Um, it is wild. And the last book almost took everything away, like out of me, honestly. Mm-hmm. Like to write 115,000 words in nine months, that, well, actually six months. And yeah, because rewrites. It was, it was a lot. Yeah, like I was writing like three, four hours a day, like six, seven days, you know, straight. Right. And it was a lot of work. And like, I almost like literally, like it almost took me out the game. And so I'm so glad that that's done. And it's about to go to print. It comes out in December. And so I'm proud of that. And so, yeah, just focusing on marketing my dystopian novel, um, doing more podcast stuff, of course, like more interviews and working on my own Tea with Leah V podcast. And also I um, wrote a script 
and so right now with the strikes that are happening, we're, we, we cannot shop it around. Sure. But I do have a full-blown script, six episodes, 45 minutes each, that I just wrote randomly in three months with my uh, writing friend who's a producer. Nice. Uh, and so I would love to pivot from books, not leave books, mm-hmm. but take a break from books right now and get into television and film. Because I feel like the stories in Unashamed definitely can be on tv uh fictionalized of course and so i would love for that to be sold and to get into the film and tv so i feel like film tv is so powerful right now um and so yeah i think i'm just trying to eat good food and uh dance and work on my passion projects hopefully somebody in la or new york bites one of my passion projects and funds it uh so yeah that's what i'm working on just passion projects and, and just trying to be sane and healthy and sure. nice to people. <laughs> sure. Yeah, I mean, fingers crossed, right? I mean, we 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 saw how much of a hit uh, to to all the boys I've loved has been. So I think people are ready for those for other stories other that that are not featuring again uh, Katniss Everdeen. You know, no shade to Hunger Games, but <laughs> other people. You know what I mean? So yeah, I, I think I think a cons- like the average consumer doesn't know what they want to see until they see it. You I, yeah. know, right on. And so I think like I can come off as like, you know, uh, a lot initially, but I think once you hear the story, you read the story, like you are forever touched by it. And you will always remember me. You know? Inspirational. You know, yeah. uh, again, uh, the, the the clumsy questions or someone saying they want to bottle your confidence. I think I think there is some subtext in there that, where they're saying they find you inspirational. So um, hold on to that and keep writing. Mm-hmm. For sure, I am. You know, I will never. Stop. I have a stories tattooed on my wrist <laughs> because I was like, you know, stories are me, and I am stories. You know, I always say that. Like when I'm feeling like I don't want to write anymore, like no one's listening, no one's reading books anymore, and they're reading on the readers. Uh, I'm just like, you know, stories. Oh yeah. You know, and I look at my wrist to be reminded that you know I am words. Words are me. I am stories. Stories are me. So wonderful, Leah. It's been such a pleasure pleasure to chat with you. Thank you for coming on the podcast. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. Uh, so we'll have more information in the show notes, especially uh, regarding Unashamed, but also the union and more about Leah Vernon. And uh, yeah, thanks for joining us. And as I said, keep writing. Yes. Thank you. And that was our chat with Leah Vernon, author and body positive activist, uh, who discussed mostly the writing process for Unashamed, Musings of a Fat Black Muslim, which came out in 2019. But there was also The Union, released in December of last year. And we'll have links in the show notes to find out more information about this Descent, which is the follow-up to that. Thank you for listening to A Little Too Quiet. It's the Ferndale Library podcast, and it's brought to you by the friends of the Ferndale Library. We thank John Duffy, a local musician, for giving us music to open and close each episode. Remember to rate, review, subscribe, or leave a positive review. It would help us find more listeners. And we'll be back next week with more. Thanks for listening.